book of Jude. You'll find it right before the book of Revelation, near the ends of your Bible. We're going to be, over the next four weeks, Lord willing, we're going to be going through this book of the Bible. It's a very short book of the Bible, but as with all Scripture, it is filled with wonderful and rich truth. So by God's grace, we'll be going through this book over the next four weeks. Before we read from God's holy word, I'd like to talk to the children for a moment. They're boys and girls who are here. Boys and girls, do you have friends? Do you have friends? Do you have good friends? I bet you have good friends, yes? Yeah. And why are they good friends? Why are they so important to you? Perhaps they're funny. Perhaps they're nice. Perhaps they're friendly. But perhaps you share something in common with them. Maybe it's your favorite team. Maybe it's your favorite subject in school. Maybe you both love to read. Isn't that wonderful? When you share something with someone else like your best friend. And that's something wonderful. Maybe you have the same toys and you love running into each other's houses and playing with each other. And that's a special thing. Friends are very special. You share a special bond in that thing that other people maybe don't understand. But children and everyone else here we all share a bond that is far more stronger than just having common interests and common hobbies and common other things. As great as those things are, we share something far more fundamental, far more important, a bond, a unity found in a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. We may think that that bond is Sunday is very important, isn't it? And we may think, well, on Sunday I put on my best clothes and I go to church. But is that it? That's part of it. But there's more than that. Is it we don't work on Sunday and that's a day of rest? Part of it, but there's more than that, much more. We share Jesus. All who look to Jesus with the eye of faith. We share a greater bond, all who trust in him. We share Jesus. It's a bond, a relationship that can never, ever be broken. We don't just share a relationship with Jesus, we share it with one another. We share a common bond, stronger than any other friendship. Any other loyalty on this earth. We are, friends, a spiritual family. We are brothers and sisters. We are fathers and mothers, spiritually, one with another. So we'll read now God's holy word. We're going to read the first four verses of Jude. And in our message, we're going to be focusing in on verses 1 and 2. Focusing on what we, what we share one with another in Jesus Christ. Jude chapter 1, verses 1 
to 4. Let us hear God's word. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unawares, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Our title for this morning's message is Our Common Bond in Christ. Our Common Bond in Christ. Again, focusing on the first two verses, which are very much an introduction and a greeting that Jude gives in this letter. Our common bond in Christ. Today, there are many things that are seeking for our loyalty, aren't there, in the world. And anybody who is following or involved in politics knows this. If somebody knocks on your door, canvassing, what are they looking for? They want your vote. They want your loyalty. Sometimes if they find out you're a Christian, they might just not even bother talking to you because they realize they're never going to get your vote. There are family loyalties and bonds, ones which are thankfully still very strong in Northern Ireland. You know, you'll be expected, certain things are expected in families, aren't there? To go to certain celebrations, uh, to go to birthdays, and to go to to funerals, and to go to, to weddings, and various things like this. Now, why do I say all these things? Well, Jude, the writer of this letter, wrote a letter which really deals with loyalties. It deals with a number of different things, but it deals with loyalties, all the way through. He starts really with where our loyalties should be. He's dealing with the people of God and where the loyalties are with Christ. And he then, later on in the letter, from verses 5 onwards, he shows examples of what happens when our loyalties are not with him. Where things can go wrong. Where things can go in a very bad direction. And he finishes the letter, this very short letter of Jude, with how to build on the true faith, this this faith once for all delivered unto the saints, how to finish that race well, how to end well. Jude shows us in this letter, there are struggles, there are challenges, there are difficulties in church life. But allegiance is to a common Master with a common purpose, with a common destiny, and a common future. A shared one. 
Uh, one that cannot be broken if we're truly in Jesus Christ. It is a faith, a loyalty which brings us to the one and only source of eternal blessings. Jesus Christ. And dear friends, as we look at this text, these first two verses. May he be our first loyalty. The Lord Jesus Christ. Above all other loyalties. Above every other loyalty. May he be what binds us together. Sure, we may be in other groups or clubs or whatever. But this loyalty in Jesus Christ is what defines us. It's what unites us. It's what binds us together. Nothing else. Nothing else can come close. Only what we find in him. Our first point this morning is our common master. Our common master. Jude introduces himself. And who is he? It says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Now, Greek is very interesting. The original language in which the New Testament was written. The order of the words can be all in different ways. In English, we can't do that. But literally, it's like this. Jude of Jesus Christ. And then he gives his role. A servant. Jude of Jesus Christ. What is interesting here is... Only Jude and one other that I can find in the New Testament writes this way at the very, very beginning. Paul in his letters always introduces himself like this. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He always starts off with his role. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. The only other time I could find in the New Testament that had a very similar introduction to Jude was James. James introduces himself like this. Again, this is literal, but James of God and Jesus Christ, a servant. Both James and Jude begin immediately with who they belong to. Now, James here is called Jude's brother. Jude's Brother, It says in our text, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. You might have read that and never really thought about it. What's important about that? What does it matter who his brother is, you might think? Now, another name for Jude, and it's basically the same name, it's Judas. Judas. Now, not Judas Iscariot. This is a different Judas. But it speaks of this Judas and James In Matthew chapter 13, verse 55, it says this, Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers? This is talking about Jesus' brothers according to the flesh. And his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. Here are two of his brothers being mentioned here in our text. Judas And Jude and Greek are basically the same name. They're basically the same name. But often in English, people prefer to call this book the book of Jude. 
in case there's any confusion with, I think, with Judas Iscariot. Brothers of Jesus Christ. Brothers of Jesus. But look at what their loyalty is first to. Both James and Jude, their loyalty is to Jesus Christ. Of Jesus the Christ. And notice how it's not just of Jesus. The Christ. Sometimes we think of that name, Jesus Christ, as if his surname is Christ. That is the anointed one. The Messiah. The, the one who would come. The Lord's Christ. It's not just saying it, oh, of Jesus Christ. He's saying, here's the anointed one. Here is this one, Jesus of Nazareth. He is the one who is the Messiah. The, the, of the line of David. It means so much more than we think of when we read it. So his loyalty is really to him. First loyalty to Christ, this, this Jesus. And what binds James and Jude now? What binds them together? Is it, we could think of maybe their family loyalties and go, oh, look who is my brother. But they're thinking about something greater, aren't they? They're thinking about something greater. A common bond that they share that nothing can break. They share other things. They share blood. But they share, both James and Jude, faith in this same Jesus. They may be in other groups. But they share Jesus. Is this what we tell others about ourselves? When we meet people out in Rathbury Island, when we're going around, we're talking to people. Do we say, oh, you're, you're friends with so-and-so. How are you friends? Well, the main thing is, if you go to church together, we both have faith in Jesus Christ. We both trust in the same master. I think sometimes we can maybe get around that and say, oh, well, yeah, we're both in a rowing club together and, or, and other things together. But we share the most important thing about us the, that we share. We share other things, but we share faith in Jesus Christ. Our first loyalty is Jesus Christ. The person next to you, if he's trusting in Jesus Christ, his first loyalty or her first loyalty is Jesus Christ. And just like Jude here, James belongs to Jesus. More stronger than any other loyalty. The same master, the same ruler, the same king. Now, in the United Kingdom, We've been recently celebrating the 70th year of our queen, haven't we? She is the longest ruling living monarch. 70 years. 70 years. It's very, very long. She's only the second in history. Second only to Louis Fourteenth, who reigned for 72 years. That's impressive. That's impressive. <laughs> Why do people celebrate? Why do people celebrate this 70 years? And I saw this a lot in the news and things like that. Well, with all the division, I'm sure you've seen a lot of it on the news, the division that's been around lately and getting worse in our society, she is very much seen, our queen, as being a very unifying figure. Someone we can all identify as what it means to be British. Or what it was, the British Empire, the British Commonwealth at one time. A very unifying figure. People feel very loyal, don't they, to, to the monarch. Very thankful for her many years of service. 
But friends, whatever we could say about any living monarch, it is nothing compared to the power and the glory and the length of the reign of Jesus Christ. It does not come close. In Matthew 28, verse 18, some 2,000 years ago, Jesus said this, and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. Not some authority, all authority. With Jude, we are unified under one monarch. We are, with also James, unified under one monarch, one king of Jesus Christ, a united kingdom, in one ruler. But it's only unified in him, in the Lord Jesus Christ. So number one, we looked at our common master. Now we're going to look at our common family. Our common family. Now, as much as we may think highly of, or perhaps not think highly of the royal family at times, we're not part of that royal family, are we? We're not next in line to the throne. We're not heirs in that royal family. But Jude, James, and Jesus are of the same earthly family, aren't they? Jude, it says, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. They're of the same family. Jude's loyalty started with his king, not with his physical family. Jude has another family, a seed with Christ, one that James is also part of. Again, remind ourselves of James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Christ. Both are seen to belong to God. Now, as important as family loyalties are, and it's not that they're not important, they are, and sadly, the family across the Western world is breaking down, and that's very, very sad. But they have a greater family, as we do too. All of us have a greater family if we are in Jesus Christ. A greater family with greater loyalties. Greater allegiance is needed. Um, our spiritual head and representative is head of this family. The Lord Jesus Christ. Our loyalty to this family may look like hatred to our earthly family at times. Have you ever thought of that? Now it should never be hatred. But because you've got such dedication and love for Christ and the bride. Your earthly family may think. They don't really care too much about us, do we? As it says in Luke 14, verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. He cannot be my disciple. So our loyalty to Christ and to this spiritual family will look like it's showing absolute disdain for the other family. Now again, this is not an excuse for being unloving 
toward our earthly family. We're not. This is clearly not what the text is saying. But it will look like at times that we are so dedicated toward this spiritual unity we share with one another, this greater family, that we are more interested in them. And oh, it'll look like hatred, really. What strong loyalty or what a common bond there is in Christ. I think that's what we need to take away from this. This common bond we have in Christ. We are all family. Have you ever thought about that? Brothers and sisters, uh, spiritual aunts and uncles, spiritual grandmothers and grandfathers, spiritual grandchildren. You may be here today and you may not have much family, physical family, but look around, friends. You're in a building with family. Lots of family, loads of family, and a family that has a greater and stronger bond than any physical ties could ever have. One that binds all of Christ's followers together as one. Together as one. A common service, living for the will of another. That word Jude says here, a bond servant. A bond servant. And James also uses it of himself as well. It's the, it's the word doulos. Doulos. And that word can be translated as servant, a slave, or a bondservant. The idea is, see, at that time, it was very, very common for there to be slaves, to be bondservants, all this kind of thing. And the idea was, it was someone who lived completely and utterly for the will of another person. They lived and they served for that other person. And for Jude, this is Jesus Christ. Now, it may seem strange to our ears, doesn't it? But in that day, it was a very, very well understood common term. To live in service to another and friends, everyone in this family, everyone in this greater family, has this in common. It's not just some people who are to live completely and utterly for the will of Jesus Christ. Don't read these texts and think, well, that's fine if you're an apostle. Or perhaps if you are a preacher. Or if you're a ruling elder. Or you're a deacon. Or go down the list. It is not just for people in offices. It is every single person who has bowed the knee to Jesus Christ. This is what we're saying. When we trust in Jesus Christ, we are saying we too are a doulos. We too are a servant or a slave or a bondservant to him. And we live for his will. What does he want us to do? Not do we want. This is for all the family. And this is what identifies us if we are in this royal family. Our royal family at times, many of them are very good, but some of them may be a bit not so good. They don't stay in that family by behavior or anything else like that. We are in this royal family because of the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ that clothes us. But also there's a lived out holiness without which no one will see the Lord. If you say here this morning, oh, I have no interest in that. That is not me. 
I'm a Christian, but I'm not interested in what you're saying here. Well, dear friend, you're lost. This is every single believer. Without faith and repentance in Christ, Christ will say to you on the final day, I never knew you. You can come to all the church services you like. You can come to all the Bible studies. You may even do other great works as well. But on the last day, if you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ, he will say to you, I never knew you. What does Matthew 7 verses 21 to 23 say? Jesus said this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. And here's the reason given by Jesus here. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You who practice, you live in a way as if there's no law to obey. And no doubt, none of us can keep the law of God. But those who lived lawlessly and say, hey, look at all... Look at all the things I've done. And on top of that, they would tell everybody, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. You see what it says here? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. It's very emphatic. But what's the fruit of faith look like? Obedience. And we may not think that is a very loving message, but friends, love warns and Jesus warned A lot about eternal damnation to a very, very religious generation in Judea. Number three now, our common calling. Our common calling. So we've looked at a common master, common family, now our common calling. Years ago, people used to go into a line of work and it would often be called a calling, a vocation. Uh, something you would give your entire life to. This, and it should be still used for the ministry. You don't just all of a sudden decide to join and become a preacher or anything else like that. But it's also the same, remember years ago, a vocation, a doctor, perhaps a nurse, or some job like that. For example, if, if, if a doctor's on, a, on holiday, he's on the airplane, and somebody's getting seriously sick, they're having a heart attack, the doctor can't turn around and say, I'm sorry, I'm on holiday. You can say that with most jobs, but you can't say that if you're a doctor. You give yourself entirely to that profession, to that role. Now, this greeting by Jude is written to a specific people who fit into this role, telling us of who they are, who they are called to be. Jude chapter 1, verse 1 again, and it says in the second half, to those who are called, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. Now, The idea here of this is to those called. This is the central issue here. To those called in God the Father. 
And these ones, they are sanctified, holy, set apart, and they are also preserved in Jesus Christ or kept in Jesus Christ. Actually, at the, in Greek, at the end of the sentence, there's like, it's almost like bookends. The beginning the, to those and called at the very end of this part. The beginning of the end of it. Called ones by God himself. He is the authority. He is the one calling us to be this. And in God, the called, what are they? Those people who are called, what are they? Declared holy. Now this sanctified by God the Father. This is not talking about our lived out holiness, although that is important. But here specifically, it's talking about being declared to be holy and we're declared to be holy in Jesus Christ. That's what sanctified means. Holy. Declared holy. Spotless, clean. That is our calling. That is what we're called to be in Jesus Christ. And this calling comes from eternity past. God the Father in eternity past chose a people for himself. And it is the only reason any of us are here this morning. God showed pity and mercy and love from eternity. The eternal one, the infinite one showed pity upon us. And he calls these people and brings them in time to him. They are drawn to him by his love and by his power. This is what we did, isn't it, friends? All of us, we were turned from darkness unto light. And then holy in God the Father, in Jesus Christ. And we are also, can be described this way as well. We are to express this truth. It's not just enough to say, I am declared holy in Christ Jesus. I am holy before God. But it's not just enough if our lives are a complete contradiction to this. In our lived out reality. Now, we fail, don't we? We're sinners. We still sin in thought, in word, and deed. Even this very day. Our acceptance before God is based on Jesus Christ. But will we not, in response to God's great mercy and his love and his calling, show thankfulness, gratitude, Will we not return, yes, an imperfect love, but a love nonetheless in serving him? And if you are in union with Christ, with all these, it says, to those who are called, you, dear friends, in Jesus Christ, you who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. This is all the work of God. The calling doesn't come from us. It comes from God. It says in John 15, 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is holy fruit. This is the evidence that you are holy before God. You will bear good and holy fruit. I am the vine, it says in John 15, 5, and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, 
you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So what happens when you're that branch alone, not connected to the vine? What will happen to it? It will wither. No fruit will be produced. And when no fruit will be produced, what happens to those branches? It will be taken up and cast into the fire. That's the picture that scripture gives us. Fruit is evidence of a change. Something different in the heart. Now the amount of fruit will vary from Christian to Christian. There will be men in Christian history. We, we, we love reading the Charles Spurgeons and the John Calvins and other people. Not everyone is going to produce the same amount of fruit as those people. We're not to compare ourselves with other people. But we are to produce good fruit. To grow in holiness. A holiness, dear friends, that will bring us closer to Christ himself, our common master. Our final point is our common blessings. Our common blessings. And these blessings that we're going to look at in verse 2, these are shared by all. These are shared by you and I if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. If you have repented of your sins. If you've forsaken them and turned your back to the word of them and looked to Jesus Christ. By faith and by faith alone. Now we may forget these blessings. Because you know we listen to the devil far too much. We may feel distant from God at times. We may feel discouraged at times. We may, we may not feel these blessings at times. But if we are a believer in Jesus Christ. If we love righteousness. If we love our Bibles. We love God's law. If we hate sin and our own sin. I say we hate our own sin because of this. It's very easy to go. Oh look at that person. Look at that person down the road. He did such and such a thing. Yeah we'll hate the sin of other people. Do we hate our own sin? This is uh, the question. These blessings the Jew talks about here. And he's greeting these people he's writing to. He says mercy, peace and love be multiplied to you. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied, be increased, may grow toward you. And these are not blessings just for some special saints. It's for every single believer in Jesus Christ. All. If we have this master, if we're part of this great family in Jesus Christ, if we are one of those people called... And not only called, sanctified by God the Father. And not only sanctified, but kept. Jesus Christ keeps us. It says preserved in Jesus Christ. Or another way of saying kept in Jesus Christ. He will present us one day faultless before the Father. He will keep us. And he will give us mercy. Peace and love. I think, you know, we can read these introductions and we just think, well, oh, that, that's a very nice poetic way of saying hi. But even in, in scripture, the introductions and the greetings, even those are rich with massive, important meaning and significance. Now, let us think about mercy for a second. Do we deserve mercy? Often we'll read mercy and we don't think of how special it is. How wonderful that blessing is. Do you or do I deserve mercy? 
Do you ever go to work and say to your boss after you've done a long day's work, I want mercy. I want mercy for all the work I've done. I deserve it. You would never talk like that. We never talk like that. No, you want your wages. And what are, what, what are our works? Our works are, sadly, they are sinful. And Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. What you, here are, here's your earnings. You've, you've worked all day long. Here's your pay. It's death. It's a scary thought, isn't it? But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. If he's our common master. If he's our master. So none of us deserve mercy. Lamentations 3.22 says, Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. It's, it tells us in Hebrews 12, our God is a consuming fire. It is because of his mercies we are not consumed. I might say, well, I, I've lived a good life. I, I've been raised in a Christian home. Friends, if you're, talking, if you're thinking like this, you don't understand mercy. All of, all of us have sinned. Lamentations 3.32 Though he causes grief, yet he will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. We are here today because of the multitude of his mercies. There is a tremendous blessing that God shows you who have trusted in Jesus Christ. He's shown you Mercy, he has shown you pity. He has shown you great love, peace. Peace with him. Peace. Well, what's the opposite of peace? War. And war is ugly. Turn on your news and watch the Ukrainian situation. And, you know, I've seen people watch the news and get physically upset in recent months. Because that's the reality of war. And that's our reality outside of Jesus Christ. Often we, we just, we get so used to it. If you ever, those people who grow up in war zones, they just get so used to it. You know, bombs are going off in different places. Weirdly enough, in certain parts of the world, people get very used to ver- various different things. But we can get used to that in the world. We live in a fallen world. But war is ugly. War is horrible. But peace is wonderful. Peace is glorious. And that war between the seed of the woman in Genesis 3.15 and the seed of the serpent. A war that goes back thousands of years, long before any of the wars that are taking place on our TV screens. I just want to focus a little bit more on this idea of mercy. Imagine you are rushing home You're rushing home, driving a little bit faster than you should. You're not going 60, the speed limit. You're going well over 100. Uh, The police pull you over. You're going to court. You're in serious trouble. The fine is not what you think it is. It's much higher than you think. And it's a lot more than you can pay. And when you're in court, you feel horrible. You feel nervous. You almost feel ill with the thought of what, how will I pay this? It's not possible. You wish you never, ever did it. Well, imagine a friend comes along and pays that fine. 
that huge fine, a fine you could never pay, a, a fine you could never pay back in this lifetime. Just the, the, the amount is too great. And somebody comes along and pays your fine. How would you feel toward that person? Would we be casual toward that person? We'd probably be overcome with joy and relief. We'd probably think, what can I do? You know, we'd probably feel the greatest sense of loyalty to that person. We would probably spend the rest of our lives trying to say thank you to that person in any way we could imagine or think of. Jesus Christ has done far more for us. That illustration still doesn't come close to the fine, the debt owed by us. How can we have this mercy, peace, and love through Jesus Christ? Because he, God the Father, delights in his son so much. He will delight in us if we're in Jesus Christ. These things, friends, unite us all. A bond unbreakable. If someone examined your life, and, he, and you know, maybe a Christian or non-Christian or whatever, and then looked at your life throughout the week, what would they say? Would they say this? This man, this woman, this young boy, this young girl, they serve Jesus Christ. It is so clear. Everything they do, it, it's centered around Christ. Or would they say when they examine your life, sure, he comes to church on Sunday, but... You would not know he was a Christian. You would not know that she was a Christian the rest of the week. What would that person say if they examined your life? Dear friends, we share a common bond in Jesus Christ. We share a common loyalty. We share a common passion. We share, I don't even, I don't even like saying a common interest, but you know what I mean. We share something far more important than anything outside in this world. The bonds in the world are somewhat important and they have their place, but this is the most important. The one where we are all bondservants of Jesus Christ, where we are all called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ.